0: Made for autistic people, parents, and carers of kids on the autism spectrum. This is a different brilliant with Orion Kelly. No
1: two autistic people are the same. Open conversations that inform and engage. A
0: better place for autistic. An people. aspect podcast focusing on the strengths, interests, and aspirations of the autistic community. Welcome to a different brilliant.
1: to a different brilliant i'm your host orion kelly and i'm autistic now my purpose is to inspire inform and entertain you through focusing on the strengths interests and aspirations of the autistic community
0: open honest and engaging conversations on autism a different brilliant with orion kelly to learn more, catch up on the episodes or send us a message, like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au.
1: Now on this episode, we are exploring the topic of transitioning young adults on the autism spectrum from school to employment and inclusion and diversity in the workplace. Yep, this is a big topic. My guests are Professor Adam Guestella from the University of Sydney, Lorna Hankin, Research Assistant at the University of Sydney's Clinic for Autism and Neurodevelopmental Research, and Stephanie Soans from Aspect Employment. Adam, Lorna and Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me.
2: Thank you.
3: Hi, Ryan. Thank you.
4: Yeah, it's great to be here. We're looking forward to chatting to you about autism in the workplace. Well, this is a really
1: interesting topic for me and it's near and dear because as an adult autistic person, I've been in in workplaces and it doesn't always go well. Let's start with you, Adam. I am asked by autistic people through my YouTube channel and podcasts and stuff, oh, can you do more videos on disclosure? And I always think, oh, that's a great idea, but what what do you want me to do? I mean, you know, the the short answer is don't tell anyone because, you know, you'll get fired or treated badly, but let's talk about it. From your point of view, I'm obviously asked about it, about disclosing to an employer. Do you view an autistic person disclosing, obviously, the fact that they are autistic uh, to a prospective or current employer as, as detrimental in the current landscape? And what workplace stigmas and attitudes have you found seem to feed into this perpetual cycle?
2: Yeah,
4: so, I mean, I think the, the question is there's not a one-size-fits-all in terms of disclosure. And, and the reason for that is that what our research has found and what studies show across the world, really, is that if people hold stigmatising attitudes and workplaces hold stigmatising attitudes, disclosure could lead to bad outcomes for the individual. So what we found actually was that if people rely on stereotypes and attitudes that are um, stigmatised, then they're more likely to Pigeonhole people into certain roles and autistic people into certain roles, and they're also more likely to not promote them at the same rate as other people. So there, there can be really negative consequences if businesses don't have inclusive frameworks for disclosure in in the workplace. But at the same time, that, that's not the way it should be, and that, and and that things really desperately need to change for everyone concerned. And so we would promote disclosure where there are appropriate supports in place, and, and so. You would think that if a business top-down really has support mechanisms in place and also a a good framework for providing adaptations and language around autism for the workplace, then it's, it's obviously a better and safer environment that results in what the person really wants is a real response that results in a better outcome for the individual in the workplace. It's also probably important to say that disclosure isn't just about saying, hey, I have autism. Disclosure could be also about disclosing that you need certain accommodations and you may not even need to say, or you can have like partial disclosure. You can say, maybe I need this type of environment to work in. Maybe I need this type of um, support while I work. Maybe I need instructions and feedback provided in this way. And that is a type of accommodation that may have much more impact than disclosing the diagnosis. So it's, I guess what I'm saying is the person themselves needs to make a, a judgment call. And hopefully if they're in a, a business that's forward thinking and has inclusive practices and is following, if you like, the Disability Act that's there for to support people in workplaces, then disclosure is a great thing to do because you're going to get lots of support and responses that are, that are helpful from disclosing. But if that's not your business, then you might need to be you know, more careful about what you disclose what would you add to that
3: yeah i think firstly it's really important to recognize that most autistic adults in the workplace have probably had a negative disclosure experience and that can really cloud people's decision about whether to disclose in a new workplace that they might be in. So I think firstly it's really important for people to kind of address any negative experiences they've had in the past and work through like some of the emotions that might be around those. I think there's also some decisions that can be made about who to disclose to and you might not want to turn up in a Monday meeting in front of your whole team and say oh hi by the way I'm autistic. That approach could result in more negative outcomes if people aren't ready for it, if people aren't aware of what that might mean. But I think that disclosing to either workplace has a particular uh, diversity or inclusion team, or if they have a particularly strong HR team, seeking advice maybe from those people about who to disclose to, how to disclose, and potentially what outcomes you're looking for from disclosure can be a really important part of the process as well. And some people might find that just disclosing to their manager is enough and that enables them to receive the supports that they require. Other people might find that they need to disclose to the wider team because that might help them in the future with the way that projects are structured or the way that they receive feedback or just the way that people communicate within that team environment. So I I guess what I'm saying and what we're both saying is that Disclosure isn't this kind of black and white binary thing. There's a lot of different nuances within that that can help make it a positive experience.
4: And also, that's also why disclosure and having support systems in place and having inclusive workplaces is not just good for people on the spectrum. It's good for everyone, you know. And so what we often see is workplaces that really get uh, proactive in providing inclusive workplace environments those workplaces don't just benefit the individual say on the spectrum as one example they're benefiting the entire workforce and they're getting a more productive workforce as a result
1: just like disclosure and supports we know that autism isn't linear you know it's an infinite spectrum it's not linear when you disclose and you talk about the supports that's where that becomes really important and i wanted to talk To you about that, guys. So clearly, disclosure it opens the door, right? Okay, so it potentially provides you with an opportunity to receive supports in the workplace. Adam, how important do you think it is having the right supports in place? And I guess let's be a bit more specific. What do they look like?
4: You know, I think that's one of the current barriers to why employers don't necessarily feel confident in hiring people on the spectrum, because the question is, what are the supports that they need to put in place? How much does that cost? What's that going to look like in terms of productivity for the rest of the team? But actually, you know, when we break it down, when you review all the evidence and then you say... What's really going to help this person with whatever need they have? And as you say, there can be a whole variety. Most of the accommodations aren't expensive. They're not resource intensive for the entire team. And in fact, most of them are pretty easy to implement. I mean, And so what we did is actually reviewed a lot of the existing accommodations and we are providing guidelines now to workplaces around what other sort of the accommodations that can be provided to, to people on the spectrum but it's, it's always going to be an individualised thing. It's not going to be a one-size-fits-all. But, Laura, did you want to talk about some of the accommodations we used?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's so important to reiterate that a lot of these are things that don't just benefit autistic people. They benefit everybody in the workplace. And so having a really open discussion with your manager or, or the person who's kind of in charge of the environment or in charge of the way a project runs, having a discussion with them up front about things that will help you thrive in that project or in that workplace is a really beneficial thing for everybody. So some of the accommodations that we really encouraged people to ask for, I guess they were from everything from the physical environment. So maybe that's, is your desk facing a window or is it somewhere that's a little bit darker? What do the office lights look like? Are they people flickering fluorescent lights or are they desk lamps? Are you in a noisy corridor or would you prefer to be somewhere that's away from the kind of foot traffic going through an office? It can be as simple as, how does your chair feel? Do you have a particular preference for a chair? Do you need a footrest underneath? A lot of people felt more stable if they had a footrest. Do you need a particular software that will help you with your day-to-day work? Do you need a screen dimmer? Do you need a mouse? Would you rather prefer a mouse pad? And then also away from the actual physical environment, how do you work best to really be able to thrive and be productive? And maybe that means a daily check-in with your colleague or your manager in the morning so that they're able to help you prioritize your workload for the day. Or perhaps it means that actually 9am is just not your time and you work far better if you start at 10 and finish at 6, for example. Maybe you need more flexible working hours than that. And how can that be arranged?
4: Yeah, I think a lot of it though, some of the ones that we had to work with Businesses quite closely on were around how instructions were provided or questions asked, how performance was evaluated. You know, for autistic people can cause huge amounts of anxiety when they aren't really clear on the expectations of the role or what's a good standard. So, a lot of the work that we did with businesses was being very clear in in very concrete w- ways around what was required in the role, what good performance looked like. You know, if they were struggling with something, being really clear on what was unacceptable and acceptable responses so so the people had clear boundaries to work within and there were lots of unwritten rules or uh, office
3: etiquette office
4: etiquette that was never really explicitly sort of stated that once you sort of made explicit everyone's like oh why do we do it that way you know you see there, that probably isn't the most efficient way of doing it for everyone but there's lots of things around how information is passed on and processed and communicated, which I think as a whole, I think autistic people really benefit from having more direct and more focused communication.
1: The business model of this is that it is a win-win. I always try to say to to people, employers, companies, or corporations, organisations listening, if you can get this right, this investment, it is actually an investment that will pay off. It's a win-win. It's productivity. It's a different type of employer you've never had before. I always try to explain to people that this actually is a genuine win-win for the productivity, the profitability, the success of the corporation, the companies. And they need to buy into that. And I also think that we can miss the most important work structures and supports. We might not need physical things. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can dim a light. That's great. I can dim a light. But I'm not allowed to be kind or compassionate in an autistic way or HR will fire me for being rude. So, for example, telling the truth or being open and honest is compassionate and kind in my mind. It's ludicrously mean to lie to people. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. Of course, if I'm being kind and compassionate, you know, Jenny or John in the office saying I'm rude or brutal or, or uh, you know, obstructive or whatever, and then, of course, I get fired. From my point of view, the next big issue to tackle is HR policies and and neuro diversity and I think that you know you can give me a good desk and a light I can turn on and off but if I still can't be myself without getting reprimanded through HR because I'm not treating everyone as in as in I'm not a neurotypical person and I don't understand office etiquette then what's the relevance of any of the supports?
4: I think any inclusive program really needs to have experts like yourself who really know what they're talking about in terms of supporting businesses because you're right what we found is even when we put all the procedures in place and put everything in that we thought would make at a great success, problems still emerged and there were things that unexpected happened and it often involved interpersonal relationships and they're not sort of things that can be solved just by having a, again, a blanket response and there needs to be an expert there that really knows probably what that, the person might have meant or why they responded in that way and how the business as a whole can respond to those sorts of things situations and that is certainly something that is not going to be solved by having a manual it's about having an expert there that's with the team ongoing one of the other massive areas that we found really useful was actually helping people to get through the recruitment door what we found with a lot of the people that came onto the program is they'd submitted for 200 jobs you know their CV and they'd turn up for the interview and constantly being rejected and when when we looked at why They would often say, "Oh, you know, the interview process was too hard, or I I froze on the spot, or you know, I didn't present my skills well enough." What that required is, you know, when you looked at the interview questions, they're often, as people have said before, really unclear. they're quite a lot of self-promotion, and they needed some sort of strategy to understand what the business was really asking to respond effectively. What we actually did is actually change the way that the interview was conducted and made it far less threatening for most autistic people. And what we found is when we did that they performed brilliantly in the interviews as a whole and got jobs. But most importantly, when they got into the job that they probably wouldn't have got if they we didn't change those recruitment processes, they did really, really well. And I should say that our candidates weren't pre-selected for hmm. high performance, that they just did their role really well. But they weren't able to articulate that in interviews. So I think yeah. a lot of the inclusive practice is also about changing the way the recruitment is done from not just relying on newspaper advertisements or online seek advertisements, to also changing the way that skills are identified for autistic people.
1: As you say, the the standard interviewing technique is is designed through a neurotypical lens for neurotypical people, and that means that autistic people are either must either mask, as in not be themselves to get through, or if they be themselves, they've got no chance. And from personal experience I'm always the second interview dude I never make it past a second interview and this is always when they're really excited about my application in the first interview and something just doesn't work and you know it's probably those uh, those silly online forms you've got to fill out 20 pages about personality stuff which half the questions I don't even understand what I'm what's the right answer for me I don't I don't really know this is, it comes across contradictory but look all the things we have just talked about and certainly the stuff you've talked about with regards to interviews feeds right into Stephanie's walk of life here and, and Steph by the way if you want to contribute anything with regards to your experiences with Disclosure. You must talk to people about this all the time. Uh, you must have parents ask Definitely. you all the time. Should I tell? What's your experience?
2: Definitely, with all of our participants that we're providing supports to, an aspect, not only families, school leavers that are wanting to finish school and looking at work. Disclosure is a big topic. You know, it is something that we are working through with our, you know, day in and day out when it comes to current employment. You know, so people that are currently working in existing roles that access support from aspect that come to us and say you know what do I do you know something's happened at work we've been working for years and they've not disclosed and it's come up something's come up where there's been a matter at work my employee doesn't know how do I go about this and you know it's really navigating case by case what's going to be the best outcome for you you know when I'm talking to families and participants what do you want to disclose what do you feel that this employer or this workplace setting needs to know about you to really understand you, to support you in succeeding in having that longevity in your role. You want to be here, you're enjoying your team. Sometimes, you know, it is because of changes within the workplace and whether that's change of supervisor or management or the way, the structure of the role, and that hasn't been communicated in a way that that individual actually can break it down and understand what's happened. It's normally, you know, being transparent, understanding the support needs of that employee. Yes, if that means that they are on the autism spectrum. You know, it's having those having those conversations. How do we support you? And whether that's we can go in and, and support that individual to talk to that employee. Or we go through case by case, how can they have that conversation? And then we've got school leavers that have come on board and that talk to us about I'm going for an interview or I want to apply for this job. I always advocate for personal preference, personal choice. We do a lot of autism awareness consultancy and training as well with employers. So part of that is talking about disclosure where you might have employees or want to Look at a neurodiverse workplace and invite all different walks of people to apply for jobs. But you need to understand what is the basics of what do you know what autism is? What does that mean? There's all different stages here when it comes to disclosure as to where that individual sits and and the outcome best for them.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, by the way. This this can only be a personal decision. And what's sobering for me is we talk about the mental health of autistic australians it's not good life expectancy all these kind of things then you have to factor in the idea that we have young autistic people and then they go up through life it's actually occurring to them it's a decision they must think should i tell people who the real me is or you know they have a medically diagnosed disability and it's it's actually a question and a conversation weighing up pros and cons of actually telling people who they are and then you wonder why autistic people have life expectancies 30 35 years you know, less than other people and why mental health is such a problem. It's, it's not a good place to be in. And it's one of those conversations that I keep having with people and there's no right or wrong answer, but from your point of view, Stephanie, aspects employment mentoring program and the SLES program you've just talked about some of the conversations you've had do you want to quickly tell us more about this as a whole this program that you're involved in
2: both of our programs our SLES program which is school leavers employment support program which is post-school both programs funded under NDIS they are autism specific and strength-based programs which are individualized and a small group, to find, maintain meaningful employment. But if I talk a little bit about the CELES program or what we offer or what is offered under NDIS funding, you know, it is to enable school leavers post-school to build their skills, confidence, and that transition from education to employment, that whole setting of you know, Monday to Friday, school's not there anymore. You know, what am I, you know, I've got this less funding. What does that mean for me? What does work look like for me? Does work look like I need to get a job casually, full-time? And we provide a program over the course of 24 weeks. It's looking at different workshop topics and different skills around workplace expectations and behaviours. You know, it's looking at social skills at the workplace. We do a lot of work around organisational skills, communication skills, It's really about identifying what are the roles, what kind of work do you see yourself doing we talk about disclosure you know we talk about what are reasonable workplace adjustments how to you know deal with anxiety and, and manage that within the workplace we do the basics of you know when you're finding keeping your job writing a resume your cover letter you know interview skills but we do find that work around mindfulness and stress management is something that we need to hone in and build that capacity and confidence of our school leavers within our school leavers program It does also provide, you know, we provide some opportunities to link with some employers to look at internships and work placements and really within that workplace setting where you have a employment mentor that comes out and supports you within that setting as well. From the work skills learning workshops, you know, that then provides an opportunity to go into employment mentoring and our Celeste program is a small group. It's about being able to engage with other individuals and participants that a finished school and looking at job prospects and opportunities while talking about those strategies as to how to manage when you are in employment. Our employment mentoring program is a one-on-one strength-based program to look at assessment, employment assessment, you know, what kind of work have you done the past? What are you looking at doing? Really building any occupational decision-making around being able to match your skills to what kind of work that you're looking for. We focus a lot on the pre-vocational skill development side of, you know, what are the things that you really enjoy doing? What is your qualifications and skills? How do you see yourself? being able to look for work, what kind of work, and then maintain that work. We know that interviews, I know we talked about that previously, Adam, you mentioned that whole HR process around finding a job. For someone that that is going into a workplace and is on the autism spectrum, sitting down and having that face-to-face interview with an employer is really daunting. It, and it can set you up to not show the true value and sell yourself as to to what you can do to achieve that job. We work with corporates and organisations that that are looking at providing jobs, having a neurodiverse workforce, and they will approach us as well. And so part of the mentoring program is sourcing and settling into jobs, internships, placements, work experience and volunteer opportunities. But it's definitely working one-on-one with individuals to meet their individual goal around finding and looking for work. And that could be from the basics of being able to understand what kind of industries or roles that they see themselves looking for.
4: Adam, what do you think? Look, I I think actually there's a lot of hard stories of autistic people trying to get jobs and having a, a lot of rejection and a lot of bad experiences in the workplaces. And I think at a high level, we have to be really strong about this and say it's actually not any autistic person's fault That they find themselves in this situation and it's really at a high level it's really a government responsibility to promote businesses to take a top-down approach to inclusive practices to support people in it it's ultimately the responsibility of government and businesses to take this on to improve the workplace and if they do that then we're going to see lots of people thrive and do really well in workplaces simply being the the cost for providing these changes is going to pay itself back in five minutes. Not only that, people are going to be more productive. So the, the big thing I'd like to say is that people shouldn't blame themselves for what is a really awful process in Australia for people with autism trying to get jobs.
2: Yeah. And I, I agree, Adam and I could talk about adults on the spectrum, you know, there needs to be for those adults at a late diagnosis that have struggled in years in years of working and, and not being able to disclose. Mm-hmm. I think, again, you know, where are the supports for that individual? to be able to address that with their employer when it's very daunting. And, and Steph,
1: can I can I jump in and say, Steph, from what yeah. you just said, I'm in effect blacklisted. Right? I was diagnosed mm. in my 30s. I worked in my 20s and through different experiences, I clearly acted in a way that was autistic, that was clearly autistic, but undiagnosed, that wasn't appropriate for HR, whatever. And now I have no references. Who are my references? Mm. Oh, he's, he's, not a, he's not a team player. He doesn't play well with others. He can come across too intense or too honest or too brutal in my mind, I don't think I'm employable. I've given up on my own career. Um, I'm just looking after trying to work out the best thing for my son. That's where I'm at, Steph. That's where I'm at, Adam. That's 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 where I'm at. I can't go back and go, I've got a diagnosis now. And they're going to go, oh, it's okay. It's all better. Yeah. They're not. I'm sorry. People aren't like that. They're going to go, no, that's not an excuse, mate. Catch you later.
3: Ryan, I think it's, it's so important as well what you're saying there about it is not up to the autistic person to be the one making all the changes, to Mm. be masking, to be trying to meet the neurotypical structures of the workplace. It is so important for workplaces to train their staff from a top-down approach to be open to different working styles, different communication styles, to not be in this kind of fixed mindset that if you're honest, that means that you're not a team player and you're not able to be part of that organization. And I think what we found was that training people across the board on how to be open to different communication styles, to different working styles, to not have such a narrow mindset about how projects should run or how days should look or what workplaces should be, that is so essential as well to make workplaces more accessible to everybody, wherever they may sit from a neurodiverse perspective.
4: The other thing I'd say, Orion, is this is something that you've carried with you. Clearly, it's something you carry with you today, and that's something we see all the time, that these negative experiences, these bad experiences that people have in the workplace, they just don't happen in that, in the six-month period since the person lost their job. They carry that experience with them for the rest of their lives. It results in many people losing confidence in working, losing confidence in feeling productive, and increases mental health concerns long term. This is a major issue that we need to be thinking not as a an issue that affects people in a job. It affects people for their lifetime if they do not and feel like they are productive, supported people in their roles. Yeah well
1: Adam, I'm so- a bad I'm a bad person. I'm a bad employee. I'm unemployable. Yeah. They're my thoughts.
4: And you know, in the programs that we've managed, there are lots of people that came to us and were like, I've never been able to hold a job. These are the reasons why and when we provided the accommodations or we or the workplace provided the accommodations, they thrived. Yep. You can't get more yep. black and white than that. And my question to, to everyone is, who's responsible for that? And to be fair, we're talking about something completely different, but if I have any mental health concern or if I have any physical health concern, no one goes, oh, it's your fault you've got that physical health concern or it's your fault. Mm. It, should be, it should be the workplace that, that provides the accommodation to support me and it's no different for people on the spectrum
1: how important is this conversation this is probably one of the most important conversations i've ever had it's yeah. gone it's gone way too long we, in fact not enough in my opinion i think even though we've talked for this long i don't believe we've talked enough this is critical what's more important to a person's mental health and and ability to live a good life than employment what, i mean what is that right. uh, so it's not working and we need to fix it and you guys have made it very clear how you're trying to fix it how you're currently fixing it and what needs to happen and i guess i'm relying on you guys to uh, all all Three of you to continue the work you're doing and, and to push harder. Forget about me. I'm shot for my eight-year-old son. So um, we're relying on you guys. And I really do appreciate the time and effort you're putting in into your work. But I guess what I'm saying is I'm going to need more from you guys, please.
4: So the other thing, Orion, is this podcast, you're doing your bit. And this, is, this has been a great interview. percent You know, you aren't shot. We've got a lot of advocacy and I'd love to be able to advocate with you. I'm not just for you. So. I was going to
3: say the same thing, Orion. I would not underestimate the power that podcasts like this have. Yeah. This is now your vocation. This is now your purpose. So mm. definitely don't set yeah. yourself short. Yeah.
1: Thank you. I have really appreciate it. That's very nice of you and Steph again uh, thank you so much for uh, all the work you do with Aspect I really do appreciate it
2: you're welcome I mean my passion this is you know employment supporting individuals to be able to feel confident they don't feel worthless so they don't feel like they've lost their jobs because of them is really important Is something that I will continue to advocate for and and definitely push for more supports for
1: people. One of the best podcast conversations ever. Thank you so much for joining me, and uh, hopefully, we'll chat again soon, guys. It's it's
2: absolute, thank
3: you, Orion. Wonderful conversation.
1: Thank you very much. My guests on this episode were Professor Adam Guistella and Lorna Hankin from the University of Sydney, and Stephanie Soans from Aspect Employment. Hey, thank you so much for listening to another episode of a different Brilliant. I really do appreciate it. Now, if this episode has resonated with you, I'd love it if you'd share it with your family and friends so we can reach more people. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, just like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. You're also welcome to send me a message via my website, orionkelly.com.au. A Different Brilliant is an Aspect podcast. Executive producers are Lisa Cassidy, Dr. Tom Tutton, and Julie Fenwick. I'm Orion Kelly.
0: Thanks for listening to A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly. An Aspect podcast on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Our door is open anytime. So like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. My aim, make the world a better place for autistic people.